This podcast is a presentation of Sunset Presbyterian Church. For more information, log on to our website at www.sunsetpres.org. Waiting for Carol to have the um, camera going. We good? Well, good morning, and good morning to our Tuesday evening gals and our Thursday early, early morning gals as well. It's good to be with you all this morning. Um, We are starting our study in the book of Genesis, not in the book of Genesis. Today, we're looking at Luke 24, the Emmaus Road, a famous story where we're going to meet two ordinary disciples in the very first encounter that Luke has, that Luke shows us with the resurrected Christ. But I'm going to start with a cliche, and this is it. The Christian life is a journey. You've heard this a lot of times. Watchman Nee said it, apparently. But we all say this all the time. We say things like, how's your journey? I'm really struggling on my journey. It's been hard on the journey. I'm in a particular season on the journey. And we have books about it. We have books like The Pilgrim's Progress. We have books like Hindspeed on High Places, a personal favorite. All of these books talk about the Christian life as a journey. And the reason it's a cliche is because there's a degree to which it's true, right? The Christian life is a journey. And when we picture the journey, we often picture a road. A road. And... Sometimes we picture the surrounding landscape as lush. Sometimes it gets a little deserty, a little bit of a wilderness around us, and we're headed somewhere. So the passage today is very relatable to us. You'll see as we read it that it describes a journey. There's the physical journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus, but there's another journey that the disciples take. It's a journey from despair to hope. It's a journey from confusion to understanding. And it's a journey in encountering the living Jesus Christ. So I'm going to quickly review our story for those who are not as familiar with it. And I'm going to start with just a bit of context. We begin in Luke 24 with um, the women discovering the empty tomb. So Jesus has been crucified. The disciples are in disarray. And the women go um, to anoint the body. And the tomb, the stone has been rolled away. There are two angels, and they tell them that Jesus is not here. He is risen. So the women run back to the 11 disciples now. No long, Judas is no longer among them. And to others who have gathered, and they're all mourning. And they tell them, he is risen. He is risen. And Luke tells us that the disciples did not believe them. They did not believe them. In fact, Luke says that they felt that it was an idle tale. So that's where we pick up this scene on the road to Emmaus. Here we are on a road, and presumably these two disciples are heading home. They've given up. 
There's nothing more for them in Jerusalem, and they're headed back to their hometown about a two hours walk away. And they're sad, and they're troubled. They heard the witness of the women, but as we know, they didn't believe it. So to them, their Messiah is dead, and they can't find his body. It's missing. And then Jesus draws near on this road. And Luke tells us that they don't recognize him. And instead of introducing himself, which is what you think you would do on a road, he starts with a question. Essentially, he says, what are you talking about? And the question stops them in their tracks. They can hardly believe that someone coming away from Jerusalem hasn't heard what's going on. And maybe they're even so weighted down with grief that for someone to ask them about it just stops them. And they begin to tell him what happened. And they share their dashed hope. We had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. The stranger responds, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And remember, their scriptures were those first five books of the Bible and the prophets. So they must have been talking and walking because they finally draw near to their village. And here's a funny little thing. The stranger makes as if to continue on his way. Notice he's not insisting on accompanying them. And apparently they've become so intrigued by this conversation that they've had that they insist quite forcefully that he come home with them and have a meal with them. It's getting dark and they want him to come and continue this conversation. They still don't know who he is. But then, as he's sitting with them, he takes the bread and breaks it and blesses it. And their eyes are open, and they see that it's Jesus. And he disappears. Gone. They marvel with each other, saying, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And then what do they do? They waste no time. They run back to Jerusalem. Scripture doesn't say they ran, but I'm guessing that they went as fast as they could back to the disciples to tell them what they had seen. So you can see from this story that so much of it mirrors our own spiritual journey. There's so much I could talk about, but I'm going to try and keep it very simple for us today and talk about three aspects of their journey and our journey with Jesus that we see in this story. First, it's a journey of grace. Second, it's a journey of fellowship. And third, this journey is all about Jesus. So the first point, it's a journey of grace. 
This is the first sighting in the Gospel of Luke of the risen Lord. And it's the first time that he reveals his resurrection power. And where does he go? Where does he show up? To two discouraged disciples on a random road that leads to a not very big or significant city. These disciples have no further part in the story. We don't see them later on in Acts. They haven't demonstrated any particular wonderful qualities. They're not part of the inner circle, the 12. Jesus shows up for two nobodies on a road. To me, that's grace. If you were wanting to proclaim a glorious miracle to the world, why would you show up to these two on a random road? Why would you take the time to explain things to them? Why would you spend several, a couple of hours at least walking with them? Why would you break bread with them? They hadn't even believed the women. They hadn't shown any particular great faith, and yet he chose to explain to them and spend time with them, which is why I don't hear this as an angry reprimand, oh foolish ones, slow of heart to believe. I hear it more like an older brother or a parent to a child. It's frustrating, but you know them, and you know what they're like, and you're trying to get their attention. If he had been angry, I doubt he would have spent that much time with them. It reminds me a little bit of the shepherd in the parable about the um, shepherd and the sheep. You know, Jesus leaves the 99 to find the one. Here, Jesus doesn't appear to a huge crowd of believers and the faithful and the inner circle in Jerusalem and the big holy city. He appears to two, two who are discouraged, not as an afterthought, but as one of his very first recorded appearances. This is where he goes first. So God is showing us in the resurrected Lord what he also showed us in Jesus before he died, which is that he doesn't care about our ranking or our social status or even our demonstrated faith and great religious works. He cares for those on the margins, for those who are confused and tired and discouraged. And I make this point to begin with because I want to encourage you as we start this journey. Because you might feel like one of these disciples. You might be discouraged. You might not feel like a spiritual superstar. You might be on the margins of your church. You might not even understand scriptures very well, and especially the Old Testament. Jesus is not deterred by that. His grace really is enough, and he wants to make time for you and for me. And he wants to help us know him and understand what the scriptures say. All we have to do is engage in the conversation 
and invite him in. And notice that he didn't force himself. He started with a question. Later, he was going to continue along the road. It was up to the disciples to engage with him, to continue. They could choose. And he does the same for us. He's there, and he allows us to engage and to invite him in. That's a journey driven by grace. Second, it's a journey of fellowship. The disciples did not recognize Jesus. This is a mystery, of course, but there's a few things we know. We know that the crucifixion was not what they expected, nor did they expect an ordinary stranger on the road to be Jesus. They had hoped for a Messiah, a king, a social and political rescuer who would restore Israel to its glory and uh, remove Roman oppression. And when Jesus died on the cross just three days earlier, it didn't match what they expected. Even though, presumably, they had heard his teaching in person and seen the miracles, and even though the women had come and testified to him, to them, and even though they had visual evidence of an empty tomb, it just wasn't what they expected. And it blinded them to Jesus. They couldn't see him. So how many of us are walking on a road and we're blind to Jesus' presence with us? This happens to me. I'm sure it happens to all of us at different stages of our journey. How many of us don't recognize him because the circumstances just are not what we expected? Or maybe we don't recognize him because he appears too ordinary. Or the context is just too simple. How could that possibly be our Messiah? So I relate to these disciples and I acknowledge that I don't always want average encounters with Jesus. And I struggle sometimes to find him in daily life. I don't always like picking up my cross to follow. And I don't always like where my journey is taking me. I want an emotional high. I want a miracle. I want him to come in power and victory and sometimes, even though I have the advantage of the whole of scriptures, the way of the cross is hard for me. But sometimes our spiritual journey really does look more like a stranger on the road and a conversation and a meal. And Jesus shows up in our ordinary circumstances more often than not. And he's not above that. Sometimes he shows up without trumpets and light, and sometimes he shows up when we're not particularly faith-filled or feeling particularly spiritual, right? And sometimes he just asks a question. How are you? 
What have you been talking about? What are you thinking? How are you feeling? And all he asks of us is to talk to him. Sometimes he just wants to reveal himself to us in an ordinary conversation. And did you notice that they don't see who he is until they've invited him into their home? We all know that in Middle Eastern culture, sharing a meal was a pretty special thing, an intimate thing, but I would argue that it is today too. It's different when we talk to someone in a store, on a playground, or at a bus stop. It's different when we invite someone into our home, and it's different when we cook a meal for them. It's a whole new level of trust and intimacy. So the disciples had had a heady conversation with Jesus, and then they, divided, they invited him in a little further into their home to share a meal. So it doesn't surprise me that that's when they saw who he was. Before his death, Jesus is having a conversation with the Pharisees, and he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Ladies, all the scriptural knowledge in the world does not ultimately bring us life unless we engage with the one that the scripture points us to. It's as we fellowship with Jesus and talk to him and inquire with him about the scriptures. And it's as we invite him into the private areas of our lives that we begin to see him for who he really is and not who we want him to be. And it's that dynamic fellowship that opens us to see him and to be changed by him even in the scriptures and through the scriptures. And I'm hoping that we can engage in that way this fall and through this study. And so the final point, and this is probably the one that Nancy Guthrie is most, um, most wants us to see. The journey is all about Jesus. Jesus is woven throughout the scriptures, not just in the New Testament. It doesn't begin in the Gospels. The scriptures find their ultimate meaning and fulfillment in him. I don't know about you, but sometimes the Old Testament feels a little unfathomable, and I struggle to reconcile the God of the Old Testament with who he is in the New. Jesus emphasized it right here in his passage, all the scriptures concerning himself. We're going to see that he is everywhere, and we simply cannot understand the Old Testament without Jesus. So when I get confused about who God the Father is or struggle with something that scripture says, I always come back to Jesus. Always. There's so many scriptures that remind us of that, but 
uh, I wanted to just mention one because it's so simple and so profound. It's in the Gospel of John, and Jesus says this about himself. He who has seen me has seen the Father. He who has seen me has seen the Father. Now, that's a bit of a mystery to us, but apparently God didn't want it to be such a mystery because he sent his Son to dwell among us. He wanted us to be able to see and touch and talk with a representation of him. So when the Father feels too holy and too great and maybe confusing, we can look to his Son, who suffered like us and was tempted like us and showed us still a different way. So we have to consider the God of the Old Testament in light of Jesus himself. Jesus came to show us the Father. And another thing is the biblical narrative doesn't just move in one direction from the old to the new. The New Testament is constantly referring back to the old. So there's all of these cross-references. And we can't actually understand the New Testament without understanding the old. It's one single story, much as sometimes we wish it wasn't. It's kind of like a painting that um, I want to show you. Steve and I joke about this painting. This is a painting that Steve painted many, many years ago, and we joke that it's his worst ever painting, um, the only one that never sold. Um, but I, I've grown kind of um, attached to it over the years, and finally we hung it up, took it out of the garage and dusted it off and hung it up. But I bet you can't guess what it is. And if I told you that it was a painting of Mary, the mother of Jesus, I'm sure you still couldn't see very much about it. <laughs> but I'm going I'm to help you out a little. I, I did another slide. And I want you to see that there's a baby in a womb there. The head is down, the circle, and the body is kind of curled up and around, just like a baby about to be born in a womb. Can you see it? <laughs> no. Well, spend a little time. Um, there's um, even some shapes of inte like intestinal type shapes around the outside. You might not be able to see that. But it's a baby. And I thought of this picture because I think today's passage wants us to see the Old Testament like this. The disparate parts don't make sense until you find the form of Jesus in it, right? Once you see it, you could probably find it again. And that's my hope for this series, that by seeing Jesus in the Old Testament stories, it's actually going to become more understandable, and Jesus is going to become more real to all of us. So Luke 24 is the last chapter in the whole book of the Gospel of Luke. And Jesus ascends. But before he does, he tells the disciples to wait in the city until the, they are clothed with power from on high. He's basically telling them to wait for Pentecost, for the Holy Spirit to come. So friends, 
Just because Jesus has ascended, it doesn't mean we're deprived of his presence. We actually have it even better. The Holy Spirit has been given to each one of us to walk with us and talk with us and reveal the mysteries of Scripture to us. After their eyes were opened, the disciples marveled at how their hearts burned when Jesus spoke. Has that ever happened to you that your heart burned? Whatever road you find yourself on today, even if you're discouraged and tired, even if your circumstances make you feel like the Lord is absent, still he is with you and he's with me through the Holy Spirit. So this fall, let's let him ask us some questions and let's invite him to sit at the table. And let's engage with his spirit as we read the passages that we're studying. And I'm going to ask you to notice whether your heart burns sometimes around a word or a reference or a prayer that you prayed or a thought that you had. You just might be encountering the living Jesus. So I'm looking forward to doing this journey together. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are not deterred by the condition of our hearts or our lack of faith or our discouragement. I thank you that you are not deterred. Um, you don't run to the crowds and the spotlight, Lord. You take your time with one of us in a humble setting to talk to us, to ask us questions, to listen, to help us see you better. So Lord, would you help us um, take down our expectations that might um, make us blind to you. Help us to see you as you really are. In Jesus' name, amen.